Good morning. You ever gotten really mad at somebody and said, I don't get mad, I get even? Have you ever heard um, someone um, just say something like this, maybe, don't go to bed angry, stay up late all night, plot revenge. You ever had something happen to somebody and you're like, boy, I sure hope they don't get mad at me and get come back at me for that. Those are all things we're going to talk about this morning, things that have to do with vengeance. We've been, cons- we've been talking about these faux pas, these uh, things that are a little frowned upon maybe in social climates, but not really something that we consider sin sometimes, or maybe the world would consider it that way. Things that are eh, on that borderline. So we're going to talk about vengeance this morning. Brother Danny talked about it in one of our applications a couple of uh, a couple of weeks ago, maybe maybe a month ago now. He talked about vengeance when we were talking about uh, maybe it was selfishness that he did that uh, application on. The Bible or Strong's actually defines vengeance as vindication or retribution or punishment or revenging. Avenging is a, is another term. So getting even. I don't get mad, I get even. We think like that in America sometimes. The Old Testament uh, has a lot to say about this, as uh, as you might uh, expect, right? The Old Testament was a set of laws, and it was it was uh, it was how how God's people were going to be governed, and how they were going to treat one another, and they wrote all of that down. And I want to dive into that. Look at the Old Testament, and then I'm going to kind of compare that to the New Testament, and I'm going to talk about maybe from a Christian perspective, how we need to approach somebody that's wronged us. How we need to approach somebody that has done something against us. So in the Old Testament, there's this concept of an eye for an eye. This concept of whatever you do to to me, it should be done to you. And there's actually a Latin um, term for that, lex talonis. That's the way I'm going to say it. I'm not, I don't speak Latin. But that term means an eye for an eye. And you find it in a lot of ancient writings when you're, when you're looking at um, the writings associated with how they were going to treat each other, how they were going to be governed as a society or as a, a group of people. This Latin phrase, it means an eye for an eye. If you do something bad to me, I'm going to do something bad to you. And we start finding that in Scripture very early on. Exodus chapter 21, it says, But if there is harm, then you shall pay life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot, burn for burn, wound for wound, stripe for stripe. In Exodus chapter 21. In Leviticus chapter 24, it says, Whoever takes a human life shall surely be put to death. Whoever takes an animal's life shall make it good, life for life. So if you take somebody's animal and you kill it, then you've got to give them one of your own animals. If anyone injures his neighbor, as he has done it, shall be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth. Whatever injury is given a person shall be given to him. So this concept of eye for eye, quid pro quo, whatever you do for me is going to be done to you. 
is very prevalent in the uh, Old Testament. Deuteronomy chapter 19 says, The judges shall inquire diligently, and if the witness is a fault witness, is a false witness and has accused his brother falsely, then you shall do to him as he has meant to do to his brother. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and the rest shall hear and fear and shall never again commit any such evil among you. Your eyes shall not pity. It shall be life for life, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, hand for hand, foot for foot. So as, as, as God was um, putting the law together for his people, we, we recognize that um, he, that law was given to Moses and he wrote all this thing, all these things down. Here's how we're going to govern one another. Here's how we're going to take care of crime. And there's a lot more in there than just about vengeance. I mean, everything, I won't say everything that possibly could have come up, but there's a lot of examples of what all could be done in Numbers and in Deuteronomy and Exodus of all the different rules to govern the people there in the, the Old Testament. And so there was this concept of if somebody commits a murder, then they will be put to death, life for life. There's another concept in the Old Testament called the Avenger of Blood. And the Avenger of Blood is this concept. In Numbers chapter 35 it says, The Avenger of Blood shall himself put the murderer to death when he meets him and shall put him to death. So as part of their law, as part of their arrangement, if you murdered someone in my family, I could become the avenger of death, the blood avenger, and go murder you for having, or go kill you for having murdered somebody in my family. But even that was governed by this concept of uh, houses or cities of refuge. And there were cities of refuge. They were all over the, the all over the country in Kadesh and Sechem and Hebron and Bezar and Ramoth and Golan, all over the so if I killed somebody and I thought I could prove it was an accident, I would flee to these cities of refuge and there the priests, the Levites, would judge the situation. And if I had committed manslaughter versus murder, then I would stay in the city of refuge until that priest died and then I would be free to go. So for them, if you murdered somebody, you got killed by the avenger of blood. If you committed manslaughter, if it was an accident, your punishment was to go into that city of refuge and live there away from your family perhaps for as long as the priest lived. And so that could be many years. It could be... Tens years, it could be two months, you don't know, because you don't ever know how long the priest is going to live. There were um, several avengers of blood in the, in the Old Testament mentioned. Gideon in Judges chapter 8, Joab in 2 Samuel 3, the men of Gideon in 2 Samuel 21 are all examples of this avengers of blood where someone was killed and they went and killed those people that were responsible. David pleased to stop the actions of the avenger of blood in um, 2 Samuel chapter 14. So you have this, 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 this law, this code that, that handled what happens if somebody hurts somebody from the, from the perspective of, of murder. There is a, a code of... Uh, <laughs> I had that in my head, and then I looked at it on the screen, and then I couldn't say it. Hammurabi, or something like that. Anyway, he was the king of the Babylonian Empire from about 1792 to about 1750. During that time, he codified his laws. So here's how we're going to take care of, uh, of the 
of people. It was 213 rules, and they talk, it talks about it in there in, about in 1750 A.D. Um, or uh, B.C. I'm sorry, I keep saying A.D. B.C., before Christ. It talks about what happens if you murder somebody, and it says lex talonis, eye for an eye. So even... 1800 years before Christ got here other civilizations had the same type of law as the children of Israel written into their codes on how to govern people when things happen how to govern this govern this concept of revenge so this concept of eye for eye tooth for tooth this concept of uh, blood avengers I'm going to submit to you this is Yancey saying that was their national governance that was like our laws here in the United States. That, were, that was their laws for how they were going to take care of each other and how the government was going to take care of them. In fact, individually in the Old Testament, you'll recognize some very similar language to how we're to act in the New Testament. In Leviticus chapter 19, it says, You shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. You recognize some, some similar words. Those are words that we've got similar words in the New Testament for how we as Christians are to act. Deuteronomy chapter 32 says, Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining bond or free. So these are specific examples, but what, what's in the Old Testament seems to be very similar to what's in the New Testament about how we individually are supposed to handle vengeance. In fact, in Exodus it says, If thou meet thine enemy's ox or his ass going astray, thou shalt surely bring it back to him again. If thou see the ass of him that hateth thee lying under his burden and wouldest forbear to help him, thou shalt surely help with him. Proverbs says, If thine enemy be hungry, give him bread to eat, and if he be thirsty, give him drink. 24 says, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let thine heart be glad when he stumbleth. Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. So very similar phraseologies and, and uh, directions to the individuals in the uh, Old Testament. So what about the New Testament, the law that we're under today? What does it say? Well, you're going to be familiar with a lot of these because you've heard sermons over them. Romans chapter 13 says, Let every person be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists us what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? When do you, then do what is good, and you will receive this approval. You will receive his approval, for he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is a servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, one must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Call your attention to that little phrase in the middle. The phrase in the middle says that this side of the cross, the government is our blood avenger. 
the government is the one that's going to take care of what happens if somebody murders somebody else. It's going to come to bear. It's going to do the punishment. That's the purpose of the government today. I would submit it was the purpose of the government back then. The same, very similar, very similar in the Old Testament. That the laws that were put forth there, that was the Israeli, the, the Israelites' government on how they were to treat, treat each other. But today, on this side of the cross, the, uh, I'd submit to you that the government is the avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. I'd submit to you that's what the scriptures say. So what about our attitude? Matthew chapter 5, when we again start thinking about us individually on this side of the cross, he says, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, but I say you do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs, uh, begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. I submit this to be hard, at least for me. <laughs> Confession. I'm not one that's going to get slapped in the face and say, thank you, might I have another. That's, that's just not me. That's going to be hard. That's, not, that's going to be hard for me. Somebody's suing me for my house. I'll take my car. Hey, we got some farm property that my dad owns. Take that. I don't need it. That's going to be hard. That's going to be, I would submit that's going to be hard for anyone, anywhere, specifically and particularly in America, where we put a lot of emphasis on our possessions and the things that we have. He who has the most toys wins. You know, there's this concept of gain. But, 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 but. Think about this. Kind of meditate on that and think about that as we go through the rest of the sermon because when we get to the end, what, what, what he's telling us here is for you as a Christian, there's a bigger picture. It's not about what's happening here on this earth. It's not about you. It's not about the selfishness of how you're being treated. That's not what it's about. It's about your relationship with the Lord and where is my heart. And we'll talk some more about that. He further admonishes us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, see that no one repays any, anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone in 2 Corinthians, finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Our charge is found in 1 Peter chapter 3 when it, when it comes to this. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to you, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. Just think about those words that are underlined there in yellow. Think about getting, having a mindset when you're wronged 
that's doing this. I'm seeking peace. I'm, I've got sympathy for the other person. I've got empathy. I've got sympathy. I've got brotherly love. I've got a tender heart. I don't have a hard heart towards that person. I've got a tender heart. Recognizing that, again, they're God's creation and that they are a, a, a person that is important to God. Having a humble mind. In Romans chapter 12 it says, Repay no one evil for evil. Kind of a summary verse here. But give thought but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but, live it, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So I went to the internet and I said, Hey, I wonder if there's any good wisdom out there about how to not be vengeful how to avoid getting upset, how to avoid getting mad at somebody and wanting to get even. And so I'll submit to you a couple of things that I found in the search engine. <laughs> Number one is this concept of controlling your emotions. Mom used to say count to ten. When you get mad, count to ten. Take a moment to just step back, relax if you can, and reassess the situation. Exercise. <laughs> go, go take that aggression out on the highway, running down the road. Go take it out in the boxing ring on, a, on, a, on, a, on one of them dummies. Take that aggression, that anger out on something other than the person. Get it out of your system. That's their solution. Listen to soothing music, Christian music. That's one of mine. If I, can, if I can find it in time and I can get it in my ears and I can meditate on it, it does, a great, it does great service to me to calm me down and, and, and get me off of that, that, that emotional high. Think calm thoughts. That's what the, the scripture ahead of us was talking about. Get a massage. Think about Jesus. Meditate. That one ties back into the other verse that I said, remember, kind of think on that as we go through. And we'll wrap all of that up here in a minute in a, in a close. Reflect on triggers. So the psychologists say we're triggered. That's this, that's this moment where we move from one emotion to another. We move from happy and okay to, whoa, that was wrong and I'm mad. What triggered me to do that? I don't think as Christians we should be triggered because we should be calmer, mindset on above, all of that kind of stuff. But when we are, I think it's important for us to understand what did it to us. What makes me want revenge? Think about that. And then this is... Uh, Again, going to wrap all of this up. Why do I think I would be better at revenge than God would be? He said, vengeance is mine. I will repay, but we want to take it on ourselves. I, I want to go take care of that myself because that's going to make me, me feel better. God said that's not the right thought. Vengeance is mine. I'll take care of that. Why do we think we could do any better? Talk to other Christian leaders or other friends in the church and seek comfort from 
friends and relatives. So this, the Christian response is to forgive the person, talk to the person, work it out if you can, have compassion, and just recognize that you're not in control of your adversary. If I'm mad at you, seeking revenge, you're not in control of me. And the other way around, if I'm seeking revenge and to the other person, recognize I'm not in control of that other person. So whatever they did to make me mad, I'm not in control of that. So this concept of the bigger picture that I talked about, I'll try to kind of bring that into focus for us here as we um, move toward the end of the sermon. There is a bigger picture, and this goes back to that question. Do you actually think your wrath poured out on someone or a group of people is better than God's? I'll give you a couple of examples of his. Do you remember the 24,000 killed in Numbers 25 for worshiping the Moabite gods? 25,000. God just killed them, did away with them. Do you remember Ananias and Sapphira? Lying to the Holy Spirit? Dead. You really think you're better at this? Revenge? Or avenging? You remember the story of the Israelites wandering for 40 years? They come up to the promised land and decide that they're afraid to go in because the people are too big? 40 years. Nobody that was there making that decision except for a couple of men get to go into the... 40 years they go out into the desert and wander around. Remember the story of the flood? Eight souls. All that survived. Because man turned wicked and it repented God that he made us. You think you're better at revenge or avenging? How about the 42 young people that teased Isaiah in 2 Kings? Go read that one. I'm not... Well, I will tell you. He sent some bears out and the bears killed all 42 of those guys. Because they made fun of God's prophet. Do you remember... God's wrath being poured out on His own Son for us. You can see we don't deserve anything but hell, fire, and damnation because we're all sinners. And God has already told us what His final revenge or avenging will be to everybody that's done wrong. Everybody that's done wrong, that's the promise. So do we think we're better at this? We don't stand a chance. God said, or in First Thessalonians chapter 5, the Bible records, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. So everybody's destined for wrath except those who obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. In 1 John chapter 2 and verse number 2 it said, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the world. Propitiation means there that He is the satisfaction or He is the appeasement 
It pleased God that his own son would come in and stand in the place of God's vengeance and wrath on every one of us. He put him on a cross to forgive all of our sins for all time, for the whole world. But vengeance is still his, and he will repay if you're not willing to accept this. If you're not willing to accept the salvation that he has offered, if you're not willing to accept his son that he has put between him and us, between his wrath and his vengeance on all of mankind for the sins that we have committed. hope all of that made sense. It did to me when I put it together. I went through it fast. So I think it's pretty easy for me to understand that this concept of vengeance is not a faux pas. It's not a little thing. It's not something that is a little sin. It's important that we realize that it's not our place to take vengeance. We're to have a cooler head. We're to have a bigger picture. We're to understand what Jesus did for us so that we don't have to worry about getting even. All we have to worry about is being more Christ-like. Hopefully that made sense. Hopefully it made you think. Hopefully it brought Christ's sacrifice into view a little bit for us. We'll be doing um, more of that in just a moment. If the church can help you, if we can be of assistance in any way, if you'd like prayers of the church, if you'd like to get inside the ark of safety that the cross provides, that Jesus provides, then come and have a seat on the front pew as we stand and sing the song that was selected.